Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Rosh Hashanah sermon by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. In the summer of 2021, the president of Israel, Isaac Herzog, publicly denounced a new form of terrorism. Leaders across the Israeli political spectrum shouted in agreement, from Naftali Bennett to Yair Lapid, who called this new scourge, quote, a shameful surrender to anti-Semitism. The source of consternation was, of course, ice cream. Ben and Jerry's announced that they would end sales of our ice cream in occupied Palestinian territories. The resulting uproar among Jews both in Israel and the United States was loud and angry from some, ponderous and considered from others. This is how the boycott of Ben and Jerry's became a litmus test, a kind of shibboleth for the ardently Zionist. Are you Zionist or not? Do you eat Chunky Monkey or Cherry Garcia? Suddenly, this mattered on a whole new level. Throughout the summer of heated debate over frozen treats, what I felt most was my distance from Israel. I'm not one to express my Zionism through either brand loyalty or boycotts. I longed to return to the frenetic, holy streets of Israel. When the Cantor's Assembly planned a summer 2022 mission to Israel, I was actually the first to sign up. Surely, I thought, being back in Israel will remind me of the really important arguments, like access to the gender egalitarian platform at the Western Wall, or whether the best hummus is from Afi while lounging in light cottonwear. So as I watched Josh climb the hill back to our van, where he planned to trade his shorts for a hired driver's pants, <laughs> I thought, wow, they really know how to set a tone for serious business. Dress codes are mechanisms for democratization. There is something powerful about the egalitarian nature of standards and norms. That notion is baked into our tradition with the principle altifrosh min hatzibur, that one shouldn't separate themselves from the community. Maimonides wrote that this principle is about binding one's fate to the fate of the community. If the community is suffering, we are meant to share in that suffering. We are bound up with one another. This injunction charges us to lean into the norms of our fellow community members, pray like them, dress like them, be like your neighbors, no better and no worse. When we scrub away divergence, we're left with a powerful core. There's strength in the unlikeness created by strictly enforced norms. But what if sameness isn't the goal? What if we reimagined the fabric of our Jewish narratives? Through the whirlwind days of our Israeli mission, I found my outlook on Judaism challenged, not by the curious or furious Haredim, and not by the Chiloni and the secular Jews who don't 
attend synagogue, but if they did, it would be an Orthodox one. <laughs> no. I was challenged by our Masorti conservative movement cousins to re-envision our Judaism, to re-envision our Zionism as a kaleidoscopic quilt. The Masorti movement in Israel works every day to protect and serve and promote freedom of religious expression by all Jews throughout the Retzef Yahadut, the spectrum of Judaism. And in a world of spectra, gender, sexuality, language, politics, they see not one single idea, not one single ideal version of Judaism, but many Judaisms, each worthy, each valid. Now, my outlook on Judaism and Jewish life was formed during my seminary years, where the chancellor of our institution was Dr. Arnold Eisen. Eisen is a sociologist, and he sees the conservative movement as the pillar that holds up the vital religious center. He teaches that what we need is a secure nucleus, a macro community of Jews that lives somewhere between the polarities of strict adherence to Jewish law and total autonomy. For years, I championed this concept that the vital religious center is the magnetic core of Jewish continuity and communal verve. Like Eyes and I saw the vital religious center from traditional leaning Reform Judaism to the most liberalized modern Orthodox denominations as a support beam for diaspora Judaism. Committed to neither assimilate nor self-ghettoize, but rather to live Judaism among the peoples of the world with the fortitude to stretch and grow. Conservative Judaism, those Jews in the middle, once seemed like the platonic ideal of Judaism, poised for maybe an evolutionary win. Conservative Jews and our nearest neighbors in practice are possessed of joyful flexibility. Remember that one? <laughs> Susan's here. I made it in. <laughs> They're also possessed of principled flexibility. The Talmud speaks of this kind of elasticity in the language of metaphor. Be like a reed, steadfast and limber. Rabbi Yochanan taught, this reed stands in a place of water. Even if all the winds in the world were to come and blow against it, they cannot move it from its place. Rather, it sways with them until the winds subside and the reed still stands in its place. The vital religious center is that reed, swaying but refusing to yield fully to the winds of societal change. My Judaism, my very American Judaism is steady and it's pliable. I lead from the center and I drive my community, my people towards the center. Masorti leaders in Israel, on the other hand, they aren't interested in shaping a singular unified religious center. The Masorti movement practices radical welcome, embracing nearly every version of Jew. The platform for egalitarian prayer at the Kotel is a space where the big tent of Masorti Judaism shines, inviting every Israeli and every Jew into prayer no matter how they choose to craft their experience. The movement is just as excited to welcome a reform or reconstructionist bat mitzvah celebration 
With Torah reading on a Wednesday, not when the traditional Torah readings take place, as they are to support a minion with a mechitza separating men and women. These are all valid Judaisms, each worth celebrating and supporting and lifting up. But Masorti Judaism in return is hardly validated by the state of Israel. The day our cohort went to the Knesset, we met with a member of Knesset. Some of you may remember my telling this story just upon my return. The member of Knesset was Inbar Bezak. Bezak's marital status was a mess when it came to all things Israeli bureaucracy. Such a wedding was not registered with the religious authorities of the state. Once, sitting across from a city official, she was told that her marriage was just in her head. That rather shocking declaration rattled around such that it became a meme in their family. She'd ask her husband to do dishes and he'd say, no, no, I'm not your husband. That's just in your head. <laughs> Inbar and her husband are among the 500,000 Israelis today who cannot get properly married according to the state due to issues of identity, status, and the status of the rabbinic ordination of their officiant. You see, when Bezek started to plan her wedding some 20 years ago, she was frustrated to discover that the Rabbanut, the controlling religious body in the modern state of Israel, enforced provisions that limited her options in annoying ways. For example, she wanted to get married after 1 p.m. on a Friday afternoon, which was forbidden according to the directives of the Rabbanut, not Judaism, the Rabbanut, lest Shabbat be violated. Ultimately, Inbar opted to get married by a rabbi who was registered with the Masorti movement in Israel, and she had the wedding she desired. What is most remarkable about this story is that member of Knesset Bezek is not a staunch conservative Jew. She never went to Camp Ramah that I know of. She's not an alum of the Israel Noam youth movement, the Masorti youth movement. But she is one of the many, many Israelis who benefits from the spirit and actions of the Masorti movement. Their tent and their reach is profound and it's expanding every day as they fight for legal and social validation. This notion of championing pluralism was infectious and frankly, I found my perspective shifting. The vital religious center isn't strong because of its carefully crafted an utterly nuanced approach to Judaism. We're not Goldilocks, the Jews who found the comfiest compromise. Quite the opposite. The Jews of the vital religious center make up a divergent collage of Jewish practices. We are profoundly convinced by the power of religious diversity. Deep believers that variety is the spice of spiritual life we are content to build communities where we trust and respect the way that someone else's kashrut or sense of personal mod modesty or Shabbat observance looks wildly different from our own. We're home, we're home for all kinds of Jews and home to infinite Judaisms. While conservative Judaism has historically worked to strengthen the modern nuanced center. 
Masorti Judaism is boldly paving the path to make space for all Jews and all Judaisms. When we break the binary, we make space for the full spectrum of Jewish expression. We set the table for Judaisms that we haven't even begun to imagine. I tell every bar and bat spot in our first meeting that nothing would bring me greater joy than to meet them 20 years from now and say, hey, <laughs> this is what they'll say. Remember me, Cantor Chorney? You officiated at my bar mitzvah. Now I belong to this kind of, well, I guess, I guess you wouldn't call it a congregation. A bunch of us, we meet every other week at this campground and it's praying and it's stuff and it's hard to explain, but it's my community and I love it. I want to nourish a pluralistic approach to Judaisms that explode with creativity. Not just American Judaisms and Israeli Judaisms, but variations and streams that suit the spiritual needs of young Jews that haven't yet come into their own. This is our task in every generation, to accept our inherited traditions, to examine them with all due respect and to coax new forms and rituals and ideas onto the religious spectrum. I have great hope because in this era, we're breaking down binaries all over the place in favor of a spectral approach, a spectrum of genders, a spectrum of ethnicity, a spectrum of political affiliations. We're witnessing a generation that advocates for self-definition and autonomy of identity. All of us are wading through the murky, sometimes very complicated, sometimes illuminating sea of shifting language. Do I say autistic teen or teen with autism? Does the city of Los Angeles face a challenge involving the homeless or the unhoused? The answer for one person may not match the next. Is that exhausting? Yes. The American linguist John McWhorter wrote about the dilemma of ever-shifting language in an opinion piece for the New York Times this past summer. He said, remember too the euphemism treadmill described by Harvard University psychology professor Steven Pinker, who explained in a 1994 Times opinion essay, quote, People invent new polite words to refer to emotionally laden or distasteful things, but the euphemism becomes tainted by association and the new one that must be found acquires its own negative connotations. McWhorter continued, for example, the pathway from crippled to handicapped to disabled to differently abled, new words ultimately don't leave freighted ideas behind. They merely take them on. Far better to teach people what you think they should think about something and why, instead of classifying the way they express themselves about it as a form of disrespect or backwardness. After a while, if you teach well, they won't be saying what you don't want them to say. Mind you, you may not be around to see the fruits of the endeavor. A frustrating aspect of change is that it tends to happen slowly, but change words is no watch cry for a serious progressivism. This lexical drift, as McWhorter calls it, is natural, 
constant, it's flowing, it's an ever-evolving process as society chases new ideals and norms. Linguistic norms are nebulous. It is a feature, not a flaw, that language is complex and dissonant, varying from person to person. The resulting cacophony is a thing of beauty, like the messy chorus of voices during our prayer services. What matters is that we're in conversation about the power of the words we choose. I try to approach language with curiosity. I use language that invites others to utilize changing vocabulary. But I'm also aware of the potential to wield language in a way that unintentionally damages relationships I treasure. That my deployment of these relatively new terms can inadvertently signal to others that I, I'm gatekeeping language. What if they don't invoke the same terms I use? Do they wonder that I'll find fault in their language? Or worse, find fault in them? What if I catch them using an outdated term? That would be like catching them with a double scoop of Ben and Jerry's. Policing the language of others directly or through inference, that does little to move society in a positive direction. But freezing language in place is equally untenable. Slowly but surely, the lexicon is drifting. Accepting a plurality of defensible ways to speak, embracing the wild differences in the way we express our Jewish identities. These are uncomfortable practices, but they're productively uncomfortable. We're told in the Torah that there was once an iteration of humanity that was of one mind and one language. In the incident of the Tower of Babel, God caused our people to become Niflaga, scattered. The basic takeaway of this biblical tale is that the utter unity of language and thought lead to a narrow place. And our diversity of practices and divergent vocabularies is the will of the divine. Our human instinct is to build consensus and insist on convergence, but we, we are made stronger and healthier by our differences and by our many Judaisms. Just as language and religion perpetually drift, ideologies blossom and shift. The piece of Jewish identity that seems to me most confoundingly trapped in the binds of a mighty binary is Zionism itself. One is either a Zionist or not. You either eat Ben and Jerry's or you refuse Vermont's finest. Passionate Zionists insist that theirs is the only authentic way to love and support Israel. And in doing so, they act as gatekeepers for righteous nationalism. And anything to the right or the left of their outlook is not kosher Zionism. Those who see Israel as an aggressor or an oppressor, on the other hand, brandish the term Zionist as an insult or worse, defamation of character. Does it matter to an anti-Zionist whether I support Stand With Us or New Israel Fund? Does it even matter to the vehement critic of Israel whether I went on a single birthright trip or whether I'm on the path to making Aliyah? And the very places where non-binary identity grows and thrives today, like college campuses where a fluid conception of gender and ethnicity generally flourishes, 
That is where the binary notion of Zionism is confoundingly stuck in place. Our challenge is to spread the idea that there is more than one way to be, and there is more than one way to be Zionist. For Jews and other insiders, a plurality of Zionisms, a choice of ways in to love of Israel, offers an invitation into the conversation on Israel and how to help her to be the best version of a Jewish homeland possible, rather than writing someone out of the story because they express their Zionism differently than we do. And as for Israel's critics, we can teach them that perhaps the Zionism that they don't believe in is the Zionism that I don't believe in, that we don't believe in. Divergent streams of Zionism go back, way back to the very first Zionist Congress. They too had sacred arguments about the best ways to show love and devotion to the project of a new Jewish homeland. Let's keep that alive. For Zionism to thrive, much like Judaism, we have to believe that spiritual, political, and personal evolution is possible and natural. I might even suggest it's the goal. The Zionism of 2022, it cannot possibly be the same as the Zionism that fueled the Chalutzim, the pioneers who founded the state 70 years ago. But then again, we've changed too. We're changing all the time. I want there to be a Zionism that fits me at this stage in my life, just as there was a Zionism that was right for me at age eight and a different Zionism that was right for me at age 18. If we stick to the binary, you're Zionist or you're not, we've closed the gates on the many people who deign to love Israel differently. When we affirm someone else's Zionism, we expand the circle of devotion to the project of building a sustainable Jewish state. We're here in the Gansberg Sanctuary on Rosh Hashanah, an ingathering of Jews who share a calendar, a love of egalitarian traditional practice, and a sense of the power of the collective. But we are not a melting pot. We are, as some sociologists describe, and I happen to love this metaphor, a salad bowl. A cultural mosaic in which we can pick out our divergences, and they are all worthy of celebration. The Jewish people is a mighty alliance inextricably connected even and especially where we express our Judaisms and we express our Zionisms in wildly different ways. I treasure the modern Jewish project, a challenge to live side by side with those whose personal truths clash lightly and not so lightly with my own. I know deep in my soul that my fate is bound up with the rest of the Jewish people and with the rest of humanity. Even those whose taste in religion and politics and humus are nothing like my own. It gives me great hope that Judaism and Zionism will never grow stale. As we shapeshift and transform, so too does the way we pray. So too does the way we speak. So too does the way we conceive of our second homeland. It is exhausting, and it is exhilarating. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. 
If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.